magic to it. When I'm at Ramah, I am home. Yishai, when I first learned that, uh, that Ramah was going to have something called Kolbe Ramah, my Ramah story, which is a new podcast, um, they said, I suggested that we do some um, amazing Tikva impact stories, okay? So um, I knew that I wanted to interview you and share your story um, and your connection to the Ramah community. Um, so for our listeners, um, I'm here with Yishai Barth, who I would say is one of the most interesting, colorful, intelligent people I know. Um, Yishai um, is also a person with a disability who received supports um, at Camp Ramah, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to Yishai Barth. So, Yishai, let's begin with some basics. Um, Where are you at the moment? Um, Where are you in life, and how old are you? Um, So, I am 24. Um, I'm currently living in uh, Newton, Massachusetts. Um, I am uh, just in the last uh, six weeks of um, wrapping up a master's degree by writing my master's dissertation um, through Cambridge University in England um, in health medicine and society. Um, I am, um, you know, were it not for COVID, I would be there as I have been, you know, as I was for the six months, you know, prior to the start of the, you know, breakout of the pandemic. Um, but right now, because of, you know, the world circumstances, I'm, I'm completing my degree remotely, um, uh, you know, here from, from my family home in Newton, Mass. And, uh, I am, uh, I, I have an offer from Cambridge to continue on to a PhD in the Department of Sociology. Uh, there, which presuming I, you know, make the necessary, uh, mark on my work that I'm doing now, I, uh, fully intend to accept and go on to, um, within the next, uh, six months or so. And, um, that's, you know, pretty much where I am with the exception that, uh, you know, in the, in the sort of in-between space, um, I, last year, I started and completed about two-thirds of the manuscript of a book um, that I uh, started writing my senior year of undergraduate um, university, and uh, I, I am intending when I'm, you know, once I've submitted my dissertation and slept for two weeks to recover or so, uh, you know, to take a couple months to finish that and then hopefully start doing some, um, you know, consulting work in the healthcare and sort of labor force sector around disability and COVID um, to build up some work experience before going to get my PhD. Please, are you, are you willing to tell us uh, a quick snapshot of what the book is about? So it's, it's, so the thing is, I, I, you know, am I began, um, work as an undergraduate to develop something I call ability theory, which is, you know, there are are lots of different, um, you know, sort 
treatments of ability across different academic fields, ranging from philosophy to economics to education to disability studies to, you know, biomechanics in the hard sciences is. And I really realized that, you know, a lot of times the, the construction of what ability is in, in lots of different ways up to and including its relationship to disability gets sort of taken for granted as basic assumption and never really defined and explored and so you have all of these different um you know interpretations of it and understandings of it that are, are never synthesized and I, I really think that you know building a society in which um you know we start leveraging a far higher percentage and a far higher range of the total pool of ability in the species is vital to human survival, is vital to human progress, is vital to our ability to, you know, contend with climate change, things like COVID. And I, I, I really think, and so what I'm looking at is essentially writing a book on how to take principles that I've developed both in my studies and in my life experience on the sort of understanding and cooperative communal leveraging of ability to think about how we can um you know transform and reconstruct and innovate on the the structures of society so that we can have a society that leverages that higher percentage and a wider range of human abilities and after hawking in, like after stephen hawking i'm calling the book the theory of everyone um on on the theory of a sort of social science synthesis corresponding to some of Hawking's work in the hard sciences. Maybe you could, you're, this is so, so amazing, Isha, I mean, wow. Um, you know, maybe you could help, I remember that being introduced to this term many years ago, it may have even been through your coming to camp, uh, this notion of um, twice exceptional, right? That somebody can have extraordinary uh, abilities on one hand, but can also be a person with um, disabilities. Can you talk with us a little bit about this idea about being twice exceptional and, and what that yeah. means? So, so uh, yeah, so it, it comes out of, of three places in, it, it comes out of the work of uh, three people. One, a man named Andrew Solomon, who wrote a book, Far From the Tree, about sort of the um, similar cultural experience and sort of life experience that he detected between in a lot of people with certain conditions like autism and Williams syndrome and, you know, prodigies, which was the first part. Then it sort of got added on to by the work of Howard Gardner, who developed the theory of multiple intelligences. And then also when the neurodiversity movement really started taking off because of uh, this guy named Armstrong who wrote a book called The Power of Neurodiversity, it, it really started coming into common use. And essentially what it is, is this idea that, you know, so much of what we think of as disability, in quotes, is about statistics and is about statistical deviance and norms. And basically, before these people started doing their work, there was this implicit assumption that people only deviated from norms to one side or the other of the, the sub or hyper 
uh, a curve of, of ability or strengths and weaknesses. And then basically what, what all three of these people in various ways started to who sort of revealed to the world through their work is that, first of all, different parts of the brain could be structured in different ways so that uh, you could have some aspects of is a, a person's neuropsychology or physiology that were way, way above the mean and some that were way, way below the mean. And then it kind of added on to that and said sometimes the same characteristic can lead to both as in so that you have like as, as in, in you know the situations of sort of neuroplastic change in the brain where you know visual impairment leads to increased auditory sensitivity or you know so that it, the, the two aren't it, it, it doesn't just happen to be a coincidence that things are directly compensatory or in a more in a more um key example you think about dyslexia and sort of that it's the actual same characteristic that makes it hard for people with dyslexia to do you know discrete symbolic processing that makes them so sensitive to non-symbolic visual patterns it's actually you know the same characteristic in the brain so then that got layered into the twice exceptionalism thing uh, which really is about you know, deconstructing the idea that a strength is a strength and a weakness is a weakness and really about saying everything in terms of you know what human characteristics are made into an asset versus a burden versus a strength versus a weakness an ability a disability really depends on context and support systems and chosen goals and not about you know sort of any kind of fixed essential you know law of the universe your your strengths obviously are very very obvious. Just from how you're, how you're speaking, what are some areas that that you would are there areas where you consider yourself more disabled or more challenged? You know, the the listeners have no idea what you well, look like. Yeah, yeah. What's hard for you? Oh, so I I say you know in in a kind of visibility thing thing you know obviously the sort of first disability that people notice about me when seeing me is that I have cerebral palsy. So my gait is not, you know, as in the way that I walk is, you know, not normal. I have, you know, massive amounts of trouble with my balance. I do not, you know, I have about, you know, I would say probably a quarter of normal endurance, uh, you know, when walking, you know, for a person my age. Um, and, and I, you know, have a lot of spasticity, which causes me uh, some level of discomfort very often when I move around. Um, I also have a lot of trouble with fine motor skills tasks. So, you know, things that involve sort of minute and careful tasks with hands are, you know, a bit beyond me. And then, uh, like, you know, I have sort of uh, slower reflexes in all kinds of recovery tasks, which, you know, is sort of negatively synergistic with my balance issues when it comes to just moving around through the world. And most importantly, I, I you know, it takes me more energy to do things. Um, so I become physically fatigued, um, you know, a lot more um, often and a lot more 
quickly than most people my age do. Um, beyond that, uh, I have something called a cortical visual impairment. Um, my, my, my vision in terms of my eyes are actually fine. I'm, I'm in no way um, blind and I'm not technically dyslexic, but I, the synapses in the um, part of my brain that handles visual processing um, were collapsed by a birth by an injury that happened to me shortly after birth. And as a result, uh, the best way I can put this is that my mind's eye is blind. So I don't have any visual memory. I don't have any visual recall. When I dream, I don't dream um, in sight. I can, I, ha I can handle color, so, but not form uh, and shape. And as a result of that, I can't uh, really read or write at all because both of those activities require uh, that you be able to do that kind of visual processing. And my spatial reasoning skills and my ability to navigate uh, around, um, you know, I, I can't do that the way people normally do. And I have to come up with alternative strategies, mostly using auditory mnemonics, a lot of which I developed, as I'm sure you remember, in the course of my time at camp, getting around in places in order to be able to get around. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, you know, I, I have several psychiatric diagnoses. I have ADD, and I have an anxiety disorder, and I have, uh, you know, um, a, a sort of uh, complicated array of, of, you know, mood-related, you know, mood-related things. And there's a sort of also very kind of, you know, thing I've been going back and forth on in the development of my identity as far as, you know, my being on the autism spectrum or not. Um, you know, I, it, it's always been the thing where I've almost fit into the technical criteria of being on the spectrum every time I've been tested, but I've always been, you know, one or two points short of the, of the you know, exact limit, but I have a lot of characteristics of um, nonverbal learning disability and sort of trouble with certain aspects of theory of mind and the processing of social cues and, you know, have had to have, you know, a lot of social skills training, a lot of which I got, you know, in, in the real, in a sort of real world setting, again, from camp. And so, you know, for my own personal identity, uh, you know, in, in the last couple of years, I, I've taken to identifying as being on the spectrum mostly because I have a large amount, I have a large number of friends who are diagnosed on the spectrum and they all tell me that I'm on the spectrum and that means more to me than the sanction of medical professionals. Um, but yeah, that's generally, um, my, 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 so where I am the most, um, challenged, but I'm able to, um, you, you know, and, and, and those challenges are, are real, and I definitely do consider that those challenges are disabilities, and I don't have a problem calling them disabilities. I, I don't consider myself to be disabled uh, overall in my, I, I do consider myself to be a person with disabilities. If I had to, like, overall self-identify uh, and and th this is my own sort of theorization that goes into my book. I, I self-identify as uh, neuro and physio divergent, 
that is the term I have, uh, and the, that begs the question, divergent from what? And the answer is divergent from expected societal norms in real ways. And that's, that's the way I think about um, sort of the, the social um, consequence and, and manifestation of, of the things about me that are different and sometimes challenging. But critically, uh, I have ways of um, compensating. Uh, um, with with technology, with skills that I built, uh, like social skills, you know, at places like camp, you know, or for instance, although I, you know, don't read or write in the technical sense, I listen to and dictate um, in order to accomplish the equivalent of reading and writing. And it is, you know, I, I think one of the critical, you know, lessons that, that, um, you know, camp helped me to learn in a really big way was about the thing of, you know, being able to live a life where you simultaneously um, fully and unabashedly and unashamedly and unreservedly acknowledge your limitations uh, while being able to proudly proclaim and declare and count on your strengths. Okay, so um, I want to really focus a little bit more about um, about Camp Ramam, and I wanted to make sure that our listeners know that um, that Ramam um, started a program um, in 1970 called the Tikva program, and the idea the, the idea came about in the late 1960s, and Herb and Barbara Greenberg, who were two special education teachers in Long Island, had the idea of including people with disabilities um, at Ramam uh, at the time, mostly intellectual and developmental disabilities. And it started with eight campers, and um, I was lucky enough to be part of the start being part of the program in 1984 as a counselor. And I've I've been around for about more than 25 years at Camp Ramah New England, and then with our National Ramah Tikva Network in Ramah Northern California. And we've really we've really expanded to include uh, other other disabilities. Uh, we we have a vocational training program, and um, and then we started to most of the campers had initially lived in separate bunks, in Tikva bunks. And then over time, we've started fully including campers in the more typical bunks, and then sort of every, uh, you know, customizing programs everywhere in between. So um, I, I, maybe you could tell us, how did you find your way to Ramah? And kind of what did your you know, program or experience look like in terms of supports and accommodations and counselors and how they, um, how you figure them out, how they figured you out? Yeah, so I found uh, my way to camp, you know, primarily through my parents. Um, you know, my father is a is a is a you know member of the conservative rabbinate. He's been affiliated with JTS for most of his career. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, at at the sort of point in my early pre adolescence. Um, you know, having some philosophical issues about my Judaism and about my Jewish practice and about my Jewish identity. And also, you know, deeply in encountering a lot of frustration, you know, with the inability to um, build a peer group and to find friends and, and, you know, to find a place both that was simultaneously committed to the values of inclusivity and also really had the infrastructure and sort of, you know, technical to, and technical 
principles on the practical side of how to actually um, realize those values in practice. There were a lot of things where I could find one or the other, but it was, you know, we, we'd sort of been trying to integrate me into lots of different programs and over and over we wouldn't find both and we really felt like we needed it. And then, so we, my parents and I attended an info session in uh, which you yourself ran um, and I, I got into it, um, it just because in, in, hearing the way that you sort of articulated your vision for what the program for what this sort of you know in between spectrum that you were talking about would look like um it, it was the first pitch of something like this i'd heard that i i said to myself this person a gets it b knows what he's doing and c knows what he doesn't know so that there'll be room for innovation, adaptation, flexibility as as things um, you know change. And I, I mean, uh, you know, it like you know, I will fully confess, you know, doing it, you know, coming to camp and and uh, you know was was absolutely terrifying to me. You know, 24 hours in, as as you may remember, I was this close to, you know, wanting to, you know, run out of camp and go back home like a bat out of hell. Um, you know, there were, there were, for me, lots of challenges in terms of the sheer overwhelming uh, sensory issues involved and the pacing and the constant in physical motion and all kinds of things that were really intense struggle from sleeping to, you know, the, 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 you know, food and some of my texture issues to food and all kinds of problems. But I think what was immediately apparent to me was, first of all, that, you know, um, the, the people, the, the counselors, you know, oh my, you know, um, my, the three counselors in my bunks, with whom I've had an incredibly close relationship for, you know, years now, um, Adir and Ellie and Sam, um, were all three really, really smart people and really, really compassionate people um, and, and, you know, committed to including me and committed to, um, you know, sort of, experimenting and doing things that had never been done before and going outside the box and building entirely new boxes where new boxes were needed in order to make that happen and even you know when i was worried and when i didn't know what was going to happen and when i encountered a problem that nobody you know there, there was there was always a great support infrastructure of people to talk to and you know it's and 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 like I also, from a social point of view, where you know I had, you know, virtually, you know, developed virtually no social skills at that point in my life, and I, I was, I wasn't used to the idea that when I had trouble, you know, integrating into a group of peers, that I would get help with doing that from, you know, adults who were just adults and not sort of trained speech pathologists. But really, by you know, all, uh, people in the ADA, people, uh, you know, counselors in the bunk, Shira Argus, who was the you know 
person managing the inclusion program at the time, what I really was really remarkable was how interventionist they were in terms of structuring activities that allowed me to demonstrate my strengths, that allowed me to contribute meaningfully to group activities, um, how just, you know, sort of not tokenized I was in that like, you know, there was a real sense of what participation meant and that participation meant being able to contribute and not just sort of sitting and 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 refereeing, that there was a deep understanding about, you know, what my limitations were as far as, you know, too much sensory stimulation or the expenditure of too much energy and that I was simul and that I mean they pushed me all the time to challenge myself and to go outside of my comfort zone and, and that was a thing but they also but there was also a really I would almost say sacred understanding again of you know where my limits were and and to have that simultaneous combination of sort of not being treated as you know an overly fragile vase that couldn't break but to also have an understanding of of where my limits actually were was really new and special and it put me in a situation where for the first time in my life i actually had the ability to you know make friends in a way that didn't feel like in a way that felt like it wasn't about pity and it wasn't about adults exerting authority or giving me you know toys on the playground to entice people to spend time with me even when they ordinarily wouldn't have but instead actually making friends and building relationships on my own merits and that was really you know incredibly incredibly special you, you and um, you and a camp friend um, Leron Bromberg I remember you guys wrote a piece for Kveller um, in 2014 yeah. and it was called how an unlikely friendship formed at a Jewish summer camp. Can you explain yeah. that? Why is that unlikely? And well, tell us about your friendship. So, I would say, you know, so the thing is what you have to understand in order to understand why it was unlikely is that, you know, I had the, 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 the worst thing for me around peers at the age of 11 you know was about how much everybody else around me seemed to want to be moving constantly and how I could never you know keep like because because even at the age of 11 you know like I would want to be sedentary I would want to be sitting still I would want to be you know in a sensorily calm environment right and it, it, like the people I tended to stay away from were sort of the incredibly hyperactive and loud and, and you know, and, but it, it just so happened that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think both Shira and, you know, Ellie Katzoff, uh, like Shira and the counselors, you know, in my bunk did was that they, they really looked hard, you know, beyond superficial elements at all the people in the bunk and they they really thought very carefully i don't think just with me but i, I think with, with everyone about you know where personality synergies were to build solid friendships within the ada and and, and i really want to emphasize I, I again i don't think that was just me i think that was everybody i think that was a commitment to really you know having the building blocks of strong community and an individual to individual relationship but i think you know 
they they all saw what I couldn't see because I was being dismissive in this guy two bunks over from me that uh, you know who 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 was sort of to me originally came across as the epitome of the kind of person I had I would have no idea how to make friends with who was you know never sitting still constantly moving at a hundred miles an hour always you know uh, again like himself you know, in the center of the noise, in the center of the crowd, in the center of the activity, but realized that, you know, underneath all of that, we had an incredibly similar way of looking at the world, common love of literature, common love of social justice and politics, and a, a really common core of, of, of sort of synchronized personal values. And so they kept uh, sort of creating ways, you know, bringing about situations where we sort of engaged uh, with each other in 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 ways that were at first, you know, very thorny and complex, but eventually, um, sort of. I mean, it, it was also very interesting that you know, Liron was sort of also opposite to me in terms of the development of social skills and that he was sort of, you know, always the, the guy that everybody wanted to be friends with and always sort of the center of the group. And it, eventually he realized that, um, a, a, but he had a lot of trouble sort of understanding uh, structure and doing plan and, 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 and making plans and, you know, articulating ideas that he, he had just because of some of his own things at that point in his life. And eventually what sort of happened was that, you know, I think Shira and, and some of my counselor like encouraged um, us both to see how we could help each other in doing various things that were a struggle for each of us, but that we could complement in each other in a very powerful way. And that helped me to see that, you know, when that ability for solid teamwork is combined with a, a sort of common orientation to the world, and most importantly, that real synergy of values, you know, little things like differences in physicality or, or, or you know, sort of preference for sensory intensity don't, uh, you know, matter as much and, and tend actually to be rather inconsequential. And as a result, of that, you know, Liron and I now have been friends for, um, you know, 12 years, um, and and you know we we still speak multiple times a week, and you know he's one of my best friends in the whole world, um, so, and, and I owe that to Camp, and and from him in many ways, um, you know, he by by he. In, in, in some ways, more than anyone else at camp, uh, including, with all due respect, all the wonderful professionals who were helping me with that, and you know, taught me how to include myself in the community as as separate of, from how to be included, but the, the the actual self piece of of what I needed to do to be a part of that partnership. And, 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 you know, I, I'd say both, both as, as a camper, you know, in, in camp and then also very critically during a seminar, 
uh, you know, he was the person who really was able to take the time to understand me and my mind and how I uh, kind of naturally and instinctually engage with the world and show me how to um, do my part to be a community member. So um, it's amazing. It's a wonderful friendship, and it's it it just it's it's just so wonderful to hear that the friendship continues. I remember how special it was, you know, uh, watching your your friendship and reading about it. Um, you know, your Roman New England is probably about an hour and a half from your home in Boston. Uh, when you when you completed your Nivonim summer, Roman New England Nivonim is the oldest Ada. Some camps call it Gesher, but after that summer. You uh, you went on as you mentioned went on seminars. So seminar is not ninety miles, not sixty miles away. It's seven thousand miles away. So what what was that like? I mean, you talked about some challenges. I, That's I, like, hold I, plug. I mean, it, it it was incredible. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it it, it 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 was it was it was absolutely um, one of the most transformative experiences of my life. In in I think a different way than a lot of other people who. Uh, um, you know, mean that when they say it, um, you know, go, uh, just for some background, the seminar was my 21st time in Israel. Um, Israel in many ways for me was, you know, has, has been for, you know, since before I can remember a second home, um, you know, a, a part of my soul lives there permanently. Um, you know, so, so, but, but, but what it was, was that, you know, it had always been a place, you know, deeply associated with my childhood um, and and my family and my parents. And, you know, to to be able to experience it, you know, I, I, I really do actually feel in a sense, like even though it happened, of course, three years afterwards, seminar was sort of the reality of what a bar mitzvah should be as in the, the moment where you actually start feeling like an adult, because it was, it was the first time that I had sort of traveled internationally on that scale on my own without my parents. It was the, like if you, you know, average out the space time equation of length of time away from parents and distance, it was sort of the, the widest gap I'd yet experienced in my life by a very significant margin from, from my parents and, you know, to be able to do that, not on my own, but with a community of people who I, you know, knew and really cared about. And, you know, to be able to, um, you know, be doing things like, you know, just going to the port, uh, you know, oh, oh, me and, you know, in, in the Namal in Tel Aviv, me and, you know, four or five of, of you know, my friends who I'd had for half a decade by that point, you know, with, with, you know, some sort of distance supervision, but, you know, no direct sort of hovering helicopter supervision. And to prove to myself that, you know, with the right kind of teamwork and obviously my, my friend was able to help me, but, you know, that, that I could, that I could do that, you know, safely and fulfillingly without sort of, you know, an adult aid having to, you know, hover and do, it was just one of the most powerful experiences I, I, I 
have ever had in terms of you know what I'm going to do in my future life and being able to study at Cambridge at Idge and all that. like I, I think I myself wouldn't have had the confidence to believe that I could do that and my parents certainly wouldn't have had the confidence to believe that I could do it if they hadn't seen through seminar that I, I had been able to do it and go through the experience of not just you know interfacing with the friends I'd made at camp before seminar, but also integrating very quickly into a new, you know, community sort of come together out of thin air um, within, you know, going to seminar. And I'm sure, you know, you, you would agree with this, that like, you know, by the time I left seminar, um, you know, I was fully integrated into that kikila. And I'm sure you would agree that, you know, the 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 eleven year old me that showed up as a solo weemer, uh, you know, on on you know July tenth of of two thousand and seven, you know, could not have done that uh, in any way, shape, or form. And yes, I did need help, and yes, I did need uh, uh, you know support. And I think you know that that's not something that's going to change or go away. I, I'm a big I want to be I want to be respectful of your time since you have a master's thesis of in his writing. Um, I want to I want to kind of pull it all together. You know, you're a person. It's obvious to anyone listening that um, that you are thoughtful and very intelligent and insightful. Um, you know, and also as you mentioned, you have a whole range of uh, things that are challenging. Um, what advice would you have for um, for Rama? or for Jewish camping, you know, kind of looking into the net, you know, we're, we're really proudly, we're very proud of the fact that, you know, we're not the program that we are in 1970. We celebrated 50 years of Tikva, and uh, I, I'm very proud of our Tikva network that we're always trying to challenge ourselves and not say, oh, we got this, we know what we're doing. Say, so, you know, we, we know a lot, and people in camping and other areas turn to us, but we, we want to keep pushing it and see, you know, how are we doing? So um, you can be a little bit critical, but where would you like to see um, Camp Rama or Jewish camping or Jewish community go uh, in the future? It's very open-ended, but we'd love to hear. So, your, I, I, so the thing is, I'm, I'm really glad you asked the question because I, I, I've sort of been waiting to be asked this question in a context like this for a couple of years now. Um, and the, 
culture starts with an understanding that I think, you know, a lot of people at camp helped me to realize and that I sort of reflected back and came to, which is that the, the unifying aspect of, you know, the sort of disability or neuro and physiodivergent experience, regardless of diagnosis in terms of, you know, where the challenge is. And, and it, it, I, I really do feel comfortable in saying that this is comprehensive, is about energy. And it's about the fact that, you know, when your body diverges from, when your body, your mind, yourself diverges from norms, there, the, you know, energy becomes more precious because complexity is of the systems of interaction increase. And that makes it so that extra energy has to be expended. And sometimes that energy comes from the community and sometimes, and, and some parts of that energy come from um, the individual and there there's an interaction and I think you know the first big thing that you know uh, I think aspires to that it, it gets to a lot more often than a lot of other organizations I've seen but perhaps not as often as it could is making sure that that's that the split is even unfair so that it, it really should be that it's 50 percent you know, of, of the necessary sort of additional energy brought about by the complexity comes from the community and 50% comes from the individual. Well, and obviously it's hard to quantify and I'm not expecting some sort of equation to appear out of thin air. It's, it's, it's a general principle. But I'd say what's really tricky is that, you know, the, the most important, the, the biggest struggle I always had throughout my camp experience, including seminar and, 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 and all the kinds of things, was about you know, the, 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 this issue of where to put my energy and the fact that, you know, no matter what you do in terms of making it possible to overcome individual barriers and, and making things sort of minimally, you know, sort of, I don't mean to say minimally viably accessible or very accessible, there's always going to be, you know, the issue of energy costs. And what I encountered over the course of my time, both in camp and at seminar, was sort of two approaches um, that were sort of, you know, put forward by, by two different kinds of leaders. One in which, you know, I was given the choice to say, you know, okay, when you have these choices of you can't do everything because you're not going to have enough energy, you know, where do you want to put your energy? Because we understand that your energy is, is, is sort of precious to you and limited in a way that we can't understand. And one in which it's, you know, people tried to sort of on on in 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 a way that was sometimes you know deeply parentalistic they said no we know where you should put your energy because we know what's going to be the most important and part of the camp experience for you and i think that there's a very important compromise where there's an initial exploratory phase of camp where you 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 want to sample and you want to experience what camp has to offer so that you really do make sure that people have a vision of what all the different parts of camp life are. And there, that sort of parentalism, particularly on the younger end, is important. 
but I think it's very critical that, you know, there be a sensitivity in leadership from counselors on up to Roche Adele, on up to directors, that, you know, for, for campers in the inclusion situation, once you get, you know, once people become veterans of the community and sort of comfortable in the thing, uh, like in, in, in camp life of saying, look, we want to really understand beyond the, you know, issue of, of sort of logistical limitations around energy. Where are your energy limitations? What's the value you're hoping to extract from the camp experience? And where are, are the decisions you want to make about how to expand your energy? I thank you very much. Um, I'm going to take the liberty of letting people know that you have this remarkable website, theoryofeveryone.net. So if, uh, is it okay to, sh I assume that if yes, people sure, 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 sure. learn more about you, there's some interesting blogs there. Um, we look forward yeah. to uh, see, seeing and hearing great things. And we say thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Good luck with this program and with your writing. And have a good time. You will. Thank you. Shalom, and thank you for tuning in to Kol Ramah. If you're looking for more information about Camp Ramah overnight and day camps, Israel programs, year-round events, and virtual offerings, please visit our website at www.campramah.org. Mm -hmm.